There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of the Cold Popsha podcast was brought to you by our Patreon. If you want to tell us which films we should watch, listen to up to two extra exclusive podcasts a month, or give us something to discuss in our new post credit scenes at the end of each episode, then please consider joining the cult and donating at www.patreon.com slash coldpopsha. Good morning, everybody listening, and it is now a rule, you have to listen to this in the morning, mm-hmm. because we had to record it in the morning, <laughs> we're both very busy boys, and this is the earliest we've recorded a podcast in a long time, not the earliest we've recorded a podcast ever. It's about 8am, which you might be like, 8am, grow up boys, but it's Saturday, so uh, yeah, and you I feel also pretty finished stupid work now. at like 11.30 last night, so yeah, I'm yeah. tired, I'm a so, tired boy. So leave us alone, mm. you know. Um, so I hope no, you're ready for this... another low effort, low energy, <laughs> boring Bro, episode of the Cold Popsha podcast. I'll, I'll be honest, dude. You were like, I'm so tired. And I said, yeah, man. But do you know what's the truth? I'm not actually that tired. Wow. I had a pretty good sleep. I had the opposite. So I'm I'm ready and I'm ready to carry this whole fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. So my name is AJ and this is Richard. Hello, Richard. How are you? Tired. I've been tired. Oh, okay. Um, and this is this is Film Franchise Fortnights on the Cold Pops Podcast. Uh, and to continue on from the last episode of Film Franchise Fortnights, where we covered the Sean Connery and George Lazenby era of the James Bond franchise. Today we are picking up again with that, with the Roger Moore franchise, the Roger Moore era of James Bond franchise Mm. do we still get to say this is our 100th franchise or did i waver that uh no you've 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 ruined that this is our 101st franchise depending on how you look at it (laughs) depending on how you look at it (laughs) uh cool so richard um the roger moore era of the james bond franchise refers to the time where mostly television actor roger moore took over the role of everyone's favorite perverted spy <laughs> uh, moore played the character in seven official bond films produced by eon productions um for 12 years from 1973 to 1985 those are two different like time periods as well you know like i associate very different things with with 73 and 85 Mm. um these films included live and let die in 1973 the man with the golden gun in 1974 the spy who loved me in 1977 moonraker in 1979 for your eyes only in 1981 octopussy in 1983 and a view to a kill in 1985 uh, so we watched them it all- sounded like you said if you do a kill <laughs> huh like if you do a kill we're not gonna be friends anymore yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oi, if you do a kill yeah so it's just as many films as we watched uh for 
Sh- Sh- uh, Sean Connery and George Lazenby, but since they're split over two guys, that makes uh, uh, Roger Moore the most prolific Bond, um, playing him in more films than any other actor so far, and probably will he? I think he'll keep that record for mm. as long as the franchise is alive. Although he's not the longest serving Bond. No, Daniel Craig has been serving for longer, but has made less films. Uh, but uh, another distinction for Roger Moore is that he retired from the role at 58 years old, making him the oldest actor to have ever played the character. Roger Moore is also the only James Bond actor to have passed away since playing the role, as he died in 2017. Um, oh yeah, and technically Sean Connery did return to the character to, in the unofficial Bond film Never Say Never Again in 1983. Same year as Octopussy. It's, yeah, 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 it was. Um, so... Roger Moore and Sean Connery have played Bond the same amount of times, but one of Sean Connery's, like, doesn't count, mm, I guess. Mm. So that's, you know, depending on how you look at it, that's what we're, what we're, what we're talking about. Um, so, yeah, if you listened to our last episode of Film Franchise Fortnights, you'll probably remember we weren't too uh, impressed by the Sean Connery era. Uh, they were very boring. They were very tedious. They were very rapey. And we just, we, as two, as two you know uh, 21st exciting. century guys um i'm just gonna list all the the opposites of those words it's two very oh, right. uh exciting and fun and <laughs> not at all rapey <laughs> <laughs> not at all rapey boys we we took we took issue with with those depictions uh and you know he's revered but we disagree so i'm I'm interested to hear what you think and to articulate what I think about Roger Moore and how he compares to Sean Connery. So the first film that we're going to be talking about today, Richard, is Live and Let Die from 1973. This was directed by Guy Hamilton, um, who's directed two of, I think he directed um, Goldfinger, Mm. um, various other Bonds. And what do you think this has on Rotten Tomatoes? Bear in mind that a lot of the Sean Connery ones cracked from 70 to 90 uh 50 this is 66% so it's still technically fresh uh but i think i think the shock of getting a new guy was too much for some people for mm. for any kind of critic score to be too high uh but what is this film about um so this is about like a, a caribbean island uh which has a lot of voodoo Mm. um so there's a um uh dr kanaga can can i yeah kananga kananga um who's uh like the other dictator of this island so he's the bad guy um and then he's also like acts as um as a american gangster as well so he's like Mm. um yeah but then uh, it's all about like heroin and trying to get more people addicted to heroin and and yeah. things like that. But it's all very like um, voodoo and Caribbean kind of thing. That's the aesthetic of this one. You know, we talked about um, yeah, Thunderball's the underwater one from Russia with Love's the Russia one. This is the the Caribbean voodoo one. Well, the, a lot of people consider this the black exploitation one, which uh, is really cool. Actually, yeah, I mean, I don't want to say it. Yeah. But no, yeah, it is. <laughs> You're allowed to say black exploitation. <laughs> All right, okay. All right. Um, so Roger Moore was brought on after Sean Connery refused uh, to return after Diamonds Are Forever. I tried looking into more details about the casting process to see if there was any fun stories. Um, but when you Google how Roger Moore became Bond, all the answers interpret the question philosophically. 
Like, they're all like, how he became Bond, <laughs> not how he literally got the role. Um, though it is worth noting that apparently in 1964, Moore made a guest appearance as James Bond in the comedy series Mainly Millicent. So that's kind of interesting. He played mm. him as a parody first uh, before mm. playing him for real. What did you think of Live and Let Die? So as soon as it started, I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Roger Moore, man. What a good character. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, immediately I was like, this is fucking, I'm ready for this. This is mm. hashtag is my bond um, yeah. versus hashtag <laughs> not my bond uh, over the last week. But um, yeah, immediately it was just so much cooler and then we'll get to it later. But like, what a great um, theme song. Yeah. And then it, you know, falls into the same kind of pitfalls that every Bond film falls into in the second hour as it continues i rapidly lose interest (laughs) and um interesting i i think this one actually kept my attention the whole time i was very invested um i and as i said i've i have seen these before um but this was this is the first time since 2012 that I'd that I'd rewatched, and I always remember liking this one. And man, I just loved it. There's a there's a great um, motorboat chase across the Louisiana Bayou um, at the end, which is really fun. Uh, he also runs across crocodiles. There's a part where oh, yeah, yeah, Kananga yeah. puts him on a on a little island in the middle of a of a pond that's filled with crocodiles, and he just runs across them to get across them. What a power move, eh? Yeah. Sure, that's Crocodile's his boss. One of the crocodiles bit the stuntman's trouser leg. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's a pretty fun piece of trivia that a good work you read 100 times when researching this film. <laughs> uh, I've also written here the villain explodes, and I'm trying to remember what I'm referring to there. The explosion of the villain, I think, probably. Ah. Uh, <laughs> So the way Bond defeats Kananga is they go underwater where there's a shark and then Bond puts like a, a inflating tube, like he inflates him with a tube through his mouth, I think, and mm. he gets so inflated that he turns into a balloon and flies out of the water and explodes. <laughs> it's so weird, but I think that is quite a little microcosm for what the roger moore era is like you know it's Mm. a lot more campier people always call it camp it's been criticized for being sillier than the the sean connery movies um and we'll get to that later but yeah i don't know man this is my favorite one so far i thought live and let die was great oh yeah don't get me wrong it was mine (laughs) you just still don't like it (laughs) (laughs) i don't i don't like it's not good but, I think it's good. Um, but I, I enjoyed it. This is what I wished all the Sean Connery ones were like. I wish they were this mm. fun and I wish she ran over more crocodiles. Like, yeah, instead of having a helicopter scene in every film, there yeah. was a scene where they run over crocodiles. Yeah, agreed. Um, I love that it's also vaguely supernatural. Like, it kind of, Hits in the it, world yeah. of Live and Let Die, voodoo is a real thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it was heavily influenced by the black exploitation genre of the early 1970s, and I, I don't know. I think it's a great way to introduce the new new James Bond era to audiences mm. because it's so different in so many ways. Whereas when we saw George Lazenby first show the world what a different take on Bond could be, uh, it was kind of pretty similar in tone to the Sean Connery 
era. So yeah, as I said, the the Louisiana boat chase scene is great. Uh, and let's talk, Richard, about Sheriff J.W. Pepper, because he is a <laughs> revelation in this film. Do you want to, for those who haven't seen Live and Let Die, do you want to describe what we're talking about here? Um, so Bond encounters a um, your idea of a bumbling American cop from the 70s. Uh, his name is J.W. Pepper, and he has a <laughs> giant lump in his mouth. He's a big, fat guy. <laughs> Well, he's, I think he's chewing, spitting tobacco. Because mm. he's mm. always got, like, yeah, this weird yeah. lump in his mouth. Um, what kind of things does he say? And how does he talk? Is it, well, he, so I don't think Bond actually meets him. Oh, no, he does meet him at the end. But but we, he's first introduced when he pulls over one of the villains because he's driving too fast. Driving I too fast. And it, it's, it's Louisiana, so I think it's a... Um, it's a race thing. I think it... Yeah, it's, it's supposed to be, like, a, a British person's depiction of a racist louisiana cop mm. and he pulls him over and he's like you thought you could get away with speeding like that on jw pepper's highway who by the by is the one who's speaking to you right now <laughs> he talks like <laughs> he talks like joe biden almost <laughs> <laughs> let's not get political you picked the wrong parish to haul ass through boy nobody cuts and runs on chef jw pepper and it's him speaking the by the by it's it's for the for the last for the last act of the film he's he's chasing bond in the um in the speedboat and he's not in it before then and it's just this such a strange and random element to bring into the final act of the film but it it wakes you up you know if if mm. you're getting a little tired it's like who the hell is this guy <laughs> <laughs> Um, and while it would make sense to finish our conversation about J.W. Pepper when, when he's introduced, he comes back in the next movie. So we'll pick that up later. But it's it's just a very funny, it's the funniest thing to appear in the franchise so far. Mm. Um, and I just really enjoyed the character. So I wanted to to at least give him a shout out. Um, yeah, cause, because you showed that to me years ago. Yeah, you like that? Did you know that there's this real weird thing in the Moore era Bond, and then he comes back in the next one. <laughs> and I guess yeah, it's that same thing that, that the more more era was criticised for was being a bit sillier. Um, but I don't know. I think at least in Live and Let Die. I think the place his character has in the story is fine, and why not make him? A funny character mm. you know so it's all good um not to encroach on the theme song the live and let die theme song which we're going to be talking about more in more detail in the theme song segment but i think this film has the best integration of the theme song into the score you know oh, what I, mean? yeah, I totally um picked up on that although um i mean i wouldn't even necessarily say that this is well, i mean maybe it is the best one but um i noticed it so much in the more era um, but I don't think I ever picked up on it in the Connery era. I don't know yeah, if they were yeah, doing think, it yeah. or if I didn't didn't pick up on it. But yeah, there's oh, like I remember there's there's uh, the da, 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 from uh, You Only Live yeah, Twice yeah. plays maybe a couple of times in the score. Of yeah, you only but Live I Twice. um there's so many ones when I like really picked up on it. Um and like like even coming to like a, a view to a kill because that's quite a like 
uh, jazzy 80s song and there's like a super slowed down version of it I noticed at one point mm. and so yeah I was like really yeah um, they all have it yeah, yeah yeah they all have it but it was like it was fun noticing it but because Live and Let Die is the most iconic of these songs I yeah. think um, yeah that's true um, you know it's the easiest and I think it kind of gives each film a flavour, which when we talked about, I think we talked about this on the MCU, how one of the things the MCU is criticised for is not having notable music for most of the films. Mm. Um, and how this is actually a pretty good counter example of like, well, this is what it looks like when you actually give each film its own theme song mm. that plays as part of the score. But Live and Let Die, it's such a fun song. I'm sure you've heard it. It's probably the, the most transcendent of the Bond songs into just mainstream pop culture yeah. um but like there'll be scenes where he's like on the speedboat and something blows up or he's in the middle of a fight and the music will be like and it's like yeah man awesome it's it's got it's such a it's got such an energy to it you know that that, that song that it really elevates um elevates the film when it's under it uh richard do you have any any other thoughts on Live and Let Die? No. No? Well, before we move on, we are going to have to uh, address the elephant in the room and turn back to everybody's favourite segment, P-P-P-Problematic Corner. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's favourite segment. Yeah. Uh, so, it is worth noting that compared to Sean Connery, where he, you know... Uh, forces himself upon a lesbian or threatens a woman with getting her fired if she doesn't have sex with him. By comparison, Moore's Bond is a lot better than Sean Connery's. He's just a bit of a rapscallion. He's a bit of a rapscallion, and sometimes it borders on uh, sexual assault, um, which is probably... Like, he's not perfect, is, is what I'm saying, but at least it shows a maturity of the writers to be... Yeah, and uh, look, you'd rather be bordering on sexual assault than committing sexual mm. assault. That is... <laughs> I don't think I'm going to say um, I agree too emphatically, but I guess that is <laughs> where you'd rather no, be. Okay, look, we'll let the record right. show that you disagree and you prefer no. the letter. Right? <laughs> Thankfully, uh, Live and Let Die is about as creepy as his version of the character gets. So it starts in the first one. Mm, they're easing people into the, the 70s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, he he cheekily uh, exploits a woman's religion to get her to have sex with him, which is technically rape by deception. Um, there's a the, the Bond girl on this is like a, a tarot card reading woman named Solitaire, and he fills her deck with the lover's card. Um, so that she's only ever pulling the lover card when she's talking to him. And so she thinks that means she has to have sex with him, which is uh, You're right, not it's great. cheeky. It's cheeky. <laughs> it's a bit more than cheeky. Yeah, well, hey, you're the one that said cheeky, mate. I know, I regret it now. You're, you're really trying to back me into a corner here, whereas I'm not trying to, to fight you. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Let's move on, buddy. Let's move on to 1974, The Man with the Golden Gun, also directed by Guy Hamilton. What do you think this has on Rotten Tomatoes? I know that like the Moore era is very low, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go like 44. That's exactly right. It's 44%. Which yeah. again, it's too low. Mm. People are still people are still finding their feet with, with the Moore series. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Especially when this is the best one. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, exactly. What is this movie about? Uh, so this one's about, uh, there's a bad guy, uh, Francisco, Francisco Scaramanga, mm-hmm. who's played by the late Christopher Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this one, they end up in Thailand. Yeah. Yeah. And um, when <laughs> Sergeant J.W. Pepper happens to be on holiday. Um, <laughs> we, we will get to that. We will get to that. Do but yeah, worry. so uh, Scaramanga is the man with the golden gun. Yeah. And um, he essentially puts a hit out on James Bond, kind of, or like, you know, makes it known mm-hmm. to Bond that you're on my list, pal. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then they end up in um, in Thailand. Yep, so the, the MacGuffin of the film is called the, the Solex Agitator, uh, which is a device that can harness the power of the sun. And so when he's called the man with the golden gun, it's not only referring to him literally having a golden gun, but also a gun that can harness the sun, as in the golden oh, sun. Man. See, it's deep. It's so deep. Uh, yeah, and so they have a fight over the... Over, it's, oh, Wikipedia says over the fate of the Solex. Um, there's also a little dwarf in this movie who's Scaramanga's right-hand man, and his name is Knickknack, and we'll get more to him later. So mm-hmm. you, you really you really liked this one. You think this is the best one? Uh, I, I did really like it. I think Christopher Lee is a great villain. Um, mm-hmm. A cracker of a theme song. Um, yep. having J.W. Pepper back. <laughs> um, and then there's one bit when they're doing a car chase in Thailand <laughs> and the car goes over like a bridge that's kind of opened up or, or, or that's that's part of its yeah, falling like away a, like into a, a jump. And you know, I don't know if you've seen Spice World. No. But there's a bit in that, which also stars Roger Moore, um, where... They're like, we're never going to make this jump. And they're like driving a double-decker bus over the, the London Bridge. And then it just cuts to this massive one. It's very clearly like a toy that is just going like... And and this one, yeah, it, cut, it does the same thing. It cuts to a wide and it very clearly like a model of the car like flips mm-hmm. and then lands. And it had, there's like this slide whistle that goes like... Yeah. <laughs> as it makes the, the noise. Well, Richard... Um, I realize I didn't communicate the sound very well. I'll put it in. I'll put it in here. (laughs) This is what it sounds like. Uh, But Richard, I've got to to correct you on one thing. It wasn't a toy. (laughs) It was a real car. It's a real car doing a... um, a, a aerial twist or a corkscrew um, and that's actually the sound it made <laughs> it's considered to be one of the most impressive stunts of the 1970s and they put a fucking slide whistle under it uh, apparently composer john barry added the slide whistle sound effect over the stunt which albert broccoli one of the producers we talked about last episode he kept in despite thinking it it undercooped the stunt uh barry later regretted the decision thinking the whistle broke the golden rule as the stunt was for what it's worth a truly dangerous moment true james bond style the sound effect was described as simply crass uh the corkscrew stunt also made the guinness book of world records as the first astro spiral jump on film and mm. they put a fucking slide whistle under it so there wow. you go that's that's the that's the more era um 
like that's the best example of what people think of the warrior is that that decision yeah. to put that under that cool stunt again it's like yes yeah, they're doing cool stuff but they ruined it <laughs> yeah it's yeah <laughs> um so while live and let die is considered to be the black exploitation bond some people consider the man with the golden gun to be the the martial arts bond because it's it's got a few extended martial arts sequence sequences um and i think a lot of this film is so weird and so great uh the ending is pretty compelling um because scaramanga has a um has like a laser tag kind of thing where he lures his hits into and they walk around looking for him and there's all these freaky things that pop up and they shoot till they have no bullets and then scaramanga will shoot them um but one of the things he has is a very realistic mannequin of james bond yeah that's right yeah. And, and that's actually how james bond kills him <laughs> how he wins as he just pretends mm. to be the mannequin which feels not necessarily cheap on the part of the screenwriters but it 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 feels like bad foresight on Scaramanga's part to put up this person <laughs> you're looking for. Um, yeah. Scaramanga also has a third nipple, which is a weirdly relevant plot part, plot point in this movie. Mm. Yeah. The, the I'm glad they didn't go with the working title. Yeah. The man with the third nipple. <laughs> yeah. I was setting it up for you. Nice. I was like, I won't take this. I'll let Asia have it. I, I knocked it out of the park, I think, just personally. Yeah, yeah so yeah uh it's really cool it's a really cool film i think yeah, as you said that that uh scaramanga is a really compelling villain uh sheriff jw pepper does unexpectedly return for this film as he's on holiday with his wife and he ends up entangled in the adventure with bond and richard people were not happy about this i i think this may be contributing to its 44 percent on rod tomatoes um back in the 70s jw pepper was almost seen as like a proto jar jar binks uh, yeah. he'd, he'd taken the series which had previously taken itself so seriously and made it silly um which is as we've said a couple of times what the more era would almost be solely recognized for these days um i can see how at the at the time people would have a problem with jw pepper returning and the mm. silliness he represents but man from the vantage point of 2020 again i'm like fuck yeah jw pepper. <laughs> it's yeah. so funny it uh, is like um it's like a prequel meme how prequel memes looks at um at jar jar binks yeah you know? yeah. yeah yeah it's, it's contrived like, yeah. and it's it's such a coincidence that he's there but i think just because i'm not very precious about the movie i'm like <laughs> you know that's totally the thing hey? yeah, yeah yeah you're like I, I i watch these movies to be like how are they gonna fuck this one up yeah oh, oh, oh they've got jw pepper back amazing <laughs> yeah and he's in it for so much longer this time as well and he's like it becomes like a buddy cop movie between bond mm. and jw pepper for a wee while yeah yeah um one thing on this movie one thing i real i've realized while watching the james bond films this has like we mentioned a couple of times a great villain in the form of um christopher lee's scaramanga mm-hmm. um but like i feel like there's a lot of conversation around like, oh man, that person's such a Bond villain. That person would make such a good Bond villain. How has this person not been cast as a Bond villain yet? Yeah. And it's like, there actually aren't really that many iconic ones, I think. like They certainly it, it, try it, to it, with, with the Moore era. Like everyone yeah. seems to be intentionally being like, this is a new villain. This is a new villain. But not all of them deserve in any way to be... Re- yeah, to, but they're not know. like, it's not like a hot young actor comes up 
and you think oh man we have to get them for a bond villain it's not the same way as like you know like a marvel villain is always like you know an a-list actor or whatever and i mean Mm -hmm. i guess we're talking about like the 70s and 80s when right the the star power of these actors might be slightly different but yeah like christopher lee and then uh christopher walken as well are like Mm -hmm. The only ones that it's like, yeah, these iconic actors that played Bond villains. That's true, yeah, yeah, right. So you're more saying that the actors aren't actually that famous in the 70s who played Bond villains. Yeah, or it's just like, it doesn't feel like the, you know, yeah, the the conversation around Bond villains Mm. um, seems to just come from a couple of films, you know? That's true, yeah. I guess people are just pulling from their their favourite or the most notable examples. Um, Because I think that, uh, like... How famous was Mads Mikkelsen at the time of Casino Royale? You know, I feel like that was his first big role. Probably. Yeah, but even still, it's like, oh man, get this guy to play a Bond villain. Right. And it like makes it iconic and stuff like that. Whereas like, you know, just the idea of like, oh yeah, just chuck whoever on. Yeah, most Bond villains in the Moore era are like boring old white dudes that don't have anything distinguishing about them. <laughs> mm. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Um, But yeah, Scaramanga who is played by christopher lee do you know that christopher lee is ian fleming's step cousin Mm. ian fleming the author of the james bond novels um so that's that's kind of fun uh nick knack scaramanga's dwarf henchman was played by herve villachez who would later go on to be a main character in the original fantasy island tv show you were always <laughs> talking about that um he's he's very famous in that show for his catchphrase which was the plane the plane whenever he'd see a plane fly <laughs> over the island <laughs> um and it's actually- so funny that's one of those things that like i've heard but i never knew that, that it was a reference right. to like <laughs> yeah, it's fancy island. island i i would have if i i would have bet money that fancy island was already out and that he was cast in the man with the golden gun as like a you know you know how like tv actors are cast in blockbusters because yeah like roger moore yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah yeah uh and the bond girl in this film is also named goodnight so that's pretty fun mm. her name's goodnight don't, that's not a name that's not a real name <laughs> uh so problematic corner what's somewhat encouraging about the more era is that while as we said it's not perfect and we saw in live and let die um that it's not perfect but there does seem to be a movement away from bond being an actual rapist and more just him being a scumbag right so uh he seduces good night yeah yeah he seduces good night in the film because she is a, like a another agent like a less experienced agent working with the mi6 uh but be- there's the scene where they're about to bang but before they can bang they're interrupted by scaramanga's girlfriend so bond hides good night in the closet while he bangs scaramanga's girlfriend and then leads good night out in the morning and the two later do indeed bang so you'll notice that for problematic corner i'm moving away from things that are actually problematic to things that just kind of make you a shitty person you know (laughs) (laughs) which is better which is better yeah but you know if the fate of the world depends on it well i don't think i guess he didn't needed to seduce scaramanga's girlfriend yeah 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 there's a great scene um so every every roger moore bond scene i think actually every sean connery bond scene actually maybe they all do except for daniel craig now that i'm saying it out loud they all end quite tongue-in-cheek with um bond getting caught by mi6 having sex with the bond girl and (laughs) the way it's depicted in this one is him and goodnight are on a ship that's going back to the main mainland thailand um and the mi6 call up bond and he's like hello sir 
and and while he's like you know softly kissing goodnight's stomach and it's very erotic and sensual and he's like where is where is miss goodnight put miss goodnight on and he goes she's just coming sir <laughs> and, then, and he's like and then he puts the phone down and you just hear him going goodnight 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 and then bond picks up the phone and he goes goodnight sir and then hangs up mm-hmm. and it's it's mm-hmm. very cheeky it was it was probably my favorite court sex scene <laughs> of the more era. um yeah i've probably got another one that i consider my favorite cool Cool, we'll cool. We will get mm. to that. Um, despite this being the second more film, The Man with the Golden Gun was originally intended to come out three films earlier, directly following You Only Live Twice, but with Connery leaving and, and a political uprising happening in Cambodia around the time, led it to being pushed back <laughs> as far as it was. Uh, this was also the final Bond film to be co-produced by Harry Saltzman, who's the guy along with Albert Broccoli. Um, his partnership with Broccoli was dissolved after the film's release. I don't think it was very amicable. I think there was a lot of bad blood that came out of this uh and saltzman sold 50 percent of his stake in eon productions parent company dan jacques llc to united artists to alleviate his financial problems um the resulting legalities over the bond property delayed the production of the next bond film the spy who loved me for three years (gasps) so let's talk about the spy who loved me having to wait three years for a bond film that's rookie yeah, yeah. <laughs> Working numbers. I've waited five years for a new Bond film. And um, the last one was Spectre. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, The Man with the... Oh, no, sorry, The Spy Who Loved Me, directed by Lewis Gilbert, returning to the series from, I don't know, a few others. Um, from what do you think? who gives a shit. <laughs> what do you think this has on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, I'm going to go, like, 40s again. It's actually 79%, which makes it the highest rated of the Roger Moore era. Presumably, I think, because with the time gap, more people are now acclimatized to who Roger Moore is as James Bond. And so I think this might be really the only one that's been judged fairly. Like, out of all of them, including Sean Connery. Yeah, that's you know? so people were like just used to a Bond film every two years, and then they didn't like them. And then they were like, okay, right, you have to wait. And they're like... I didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so what is this movie about? What is The Spy Who Loved Me about? Uh, It's about disappearing submarines. Mm, And there's a a KGB agent that he works with. Yep. Um, yeah, a Russian a Russian KGB agent named Anya Amasova or Agent Triple X, very sexy. Uh, and they are they team up to stop a reclusive megalomaniac named Karl Stromberg, who plans to destroy the world and create a new civilization under the sea. Karl Stromberg, a very forgettable villain, all things considered. Um, but there I've is forgotten him. there is another Karl villain. Who? <laughs> there is another villain in this film which we'll talk about later which maybe is a little more iconic to the franchise a little roger more iconic oh <laughs> what did you think of this film i I, th- I think i liked it but this this one is probably the least like oh it's the this one you know mm-hmm. yeah and because it's surrounded by two kind of super uh definable ones yeah, yeah. you've got uh on one side is the man with the golden gun which has like an iconic villain and um i just really enjoyed that one and then obviously the next one is moonraker yeah um and then so yeah this one it's like i i do remember liking it but i i couldn't point you 
to any specific things in it that made me be like oh yeah this is a good one well i think i think it's possibly because it's quite a character driven film mm. like maybe, more yeah, so than the others I yeah 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 uh, well a lot of people including roger moore consider this to be the best film of the moore era and while it's not my favorite i actually would rank the man with the golden gun and live and let die above this one i do think it's maybe the best screenplay we've seen for the series so far mm, uh, i think they roll doll yeah <laughs> fuck you roll doll piece of shit um <laughs> uh the character dynamics between 007 and triple x are really interesting because they kind of it's like it's like the the female version of bond essentially and when she finds out he killed her previous lover uh you know she's it complicates their relationship and it, and it kind of as hits, it should <laughs> yeah yeah exactly well yeah but that's that's what i mean it, it like actually plays with complex relationships between the two main characters for the first time in the series you know i love the idea that like uh, (laughs) you know um she's mad that bond killed someone she liked and it's like yeah they're playing with real complexities (laughs) we haven't seen this kind of depth well that they've already they've already like made out by this point you know so it's it's like it's complicated (laughs) but it's so funny it's just like the bare minimum of of character for a female right right um (laughs) yeah and this this film kind of hints at the writers subverting the formula for the verse the first time in the series like this is the first time that they're gone fuck we're on like film 10 let's fucking well i think it's film 11 actually let's actually do something interesting with the characters for the first time (laughs) you Mm. know um i do think there is a missed opportunity with the story though um and they would never have done this in 1977 but i think they should have swapped the roles so that bond is taken advantage of by anya um the obligatory sex scene at the end of the film is really funny but i kind of would have loved it if she like ditches him after they sleep together meaning that the spy in the title actually refers to her and the Mm. me is james bond i think that would be way cooler very sexy Mm. yeah but it's like they they don't want to give up the the idea that bond is like the dominant character they would do they would do this now you know they would they would do this now and by film 10 or 11 that is when it's time to start doing these slightly more I don't know, subverted ideas i think um because the, the, i think the biggest problem with the bond franchise especially the ones the eras where they go for seven films is like <laughs> they don't they don't ever want to give up anything that's worked before and so there's no exploration and there's no variety like look at like mission impossible right how like number four we start like the the your mission if you choose to accept it line is like cut off and shit like that and like this didn't fucking happen to casino royale you know (laughs) it took them nearly 20 films to well no 20 films right 21 to to actually start playing around with with these ideas what like 54 years Mm, fuck that's that's 44 years that's so british you know what i mean like that's so british (laughs) also this is the one with jaws yes what do you think of jaws so who is jaws for those who don't know uh jaws is like um one of your classic henchmen um and he's got he's very tall dude Uh, played by richard keel yeah and he's got uh metal teeth as his defining thing yep he's very strong very 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 well built and he's got metal teeth which he uses to to not only bite like 
trousers i don't know cords and and <laughs> and and like metal and stuff but he also kills people by biting them somehow mm. which is very spooky uh yeah i mean this is probably one of the most iconic things to come out of the more era um jaws as a character uh and he's one of i think three recurring villains in the james bond series it's him blofeld um and mr green from casino royale Spe- uh, quantum of solace and specter are the mm. only recurring bond villains um because jaws comes back of course uh but yeah man you can see why like as soon as he shows up you're like oh this is this is a good idea this is uh this is the odd job of well it's it's the right mix of um you know roger moore era and also legitimately threatening like that's a good way to put it yeah it's like (laughs) it's like oh shit like yeah oh you've got to watch these movies they've got like the fucking most terrifying bad guy and like oh shit shit like what's it he's like he's fucking seven foot tall like oh shit 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 and he's got um got big teeth (laughs) <laughs> he'll, he'll bite you oh no oh big teeth yeah, oh, okay oh, yeah. okay oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> can we have a character who's the person who's never seen james bond and is increasingly disappointed when you describe the plots of <laughs> oh okay yeah. all right um yeah <laughs> so jaws yeah jaws is great in this film i really i really like jaws and i think yeah we'll get to this later i'd like to see a modern interpretation of him um Ooh. but using jaws as a segue to another talking point uh steven spielberg was approached to direct this film in the interim between well of jaws fame and he couldn't do it because he was busy with post-production on get this jaws (laughs) which he would have been because it's 1977 that this movie came Mm. out in uh yeah so fuck like imagine a steven spielberg (laughs) imagine a steven spielberg directed bond movie you'd never get that now you might okay all right (laughs) (laughs) what do you think would be different about a steven spielberg directed bond film there'd be more more kids in it (laughs) yeah this is 70s steven spielberg (laughs) yeah that'd be awesome more kids yeah there'd be aliens in it yeah yep there'd be a big shark there is a big shark Wow. no jaws the character fights a big shark at the end yeah yeah uh yeah that was, that was steven spielberg's um that, that was what he left on the um yeah yeah he he was attached for one day and he's like well if there's a big shark and he's like wait a minute i could probably make a whole movie about a big shark. <laughs> and it's like okay so we've called this villain jaws and steven spielberg you see him leaving the door as they say leaving out the door as they say we've got a villain named jaws and he's like <laughs> I have to leave before to. before it's provable that I stole this idea. <laughs> and yes, I know that Jaws is based on a fucking novel. Leave me alone. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, this film was supposed to feature Blofeld uh, and Spectre, but the rights for those characters were held up with Kevin McClory, the guy who had allegedly written the original draft of Thunderball with Fleming uh, and would eventually make Never Say Never Again, the most famous of the non-Eon-produced Bond films, uh yeah so are you disappointed that blofeld didn't get to make it in again oh man oh no blofeld (laughs) i miss his one good appearance (laughs) and one of the worst movies um (laughs) 
I think, yeah, I, I like this film. I, I was really interested in the character of Anya Amasova and I don't know. A more a, a different there's a, there's a a different take on the series where she's a yeah. recurring character I think yeah yeah yeah, yeah so, she beca- she becomes like another sort of uh, J W Pepper if you will a Felix Leiter type <laughs> um yeah so at the end of the credits of this film we get a little teaser saying James Bond will return for in your for your eyes only. So, oh, of course, next we saw Moonraker in 1979, <laughs> also directed by Lewis Gilbert. What do you think this has on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, this is going to be low, right? It's actually not. It's actually really? higher. It's higher than Golden Gun and Live and Let Die. Uh, 69. So 71, so pretty close. Sure. Um, which, it's, I had to look that up. I, like, I obviously I had to look it up, but I looked it up again <laughs> to like double check when I was... Fuck, the other ones I've just been guessing, but I looked that one up. <laughs> <laughs> what is moonraker about uh so there's a bad guy called hugo drax um who has um uh moonraker refers to like the his uh like a type of space shuttle that he has or like a um yeah it's called like yeah like a moonraker space shuttle um and it's stolen or it's hijacked and um bond is is uh you know called on to investigate um and then he meets uh along his adventure he meets hugo drax and dr holly goodhead mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh and then uh yeah they end up in space um yeah. they go to this they go to a space station and um what is yeah. hugo drax's evil villain plan uh oh he wants to like release a toxin um that kills humans but doesn't harm animals is that right yeah and so on the moonraker ship that they end up on it's filled with like beautiful men and women because he's essentially creating a noah's ark of humans to wipe Mm. out the rest of humanity and then start again with a master race yeah very thought about it's very eccentric it's it's almost too eccentric for him as a character like mm. he's such a self-serious watching these movies person. does make you wonder like how many times something like this has been close to happening in real life mm. but all the real life mi6 Bond agents villains. have put a stop to it it's imagine if it's just has never happened but it's like this is extremely fictionalized and no you know what aj i'm sure it probably is extremely <laughs> fictionalized <laughs> um yeah but yeah i, I wonder like if there's ever been a, a an almost world-ending event that was put a stop by a spy, I think you can look it up. I'm sure there are some that will be public record by now. Oh, I'm not going to, but yeah, I'm there's, sure you there's could. stuff like like mutually assured destruction. You know, that was pretty close. We got pretty close to that around this time as well. Yeah, well, nine o'clock. Yeah, yeah. Where now it's like what five to twelve because of climate change. Uh, oh no, I just mean that it's nine o'clock now. Oh, <laughs> so you were talking about the doomsday clock. <laughs> what a great misunderstanding that was. That was now perfect. the doomsday clock's at like what is it like a minute twenty or something like that, right? Oh, or um, which just feels like all right, guys, I'm gonna start counting down to doomsday. Five, four, yes, three, two. No, one and a half. No, one and a quarter. Puts away fossil fuels and <laughs> carbon emissions. Like, look, no. 
Uh, what yeah. did you think of Moonraker? Uh, again, I, I thought it was cool. This is like, I, I always knew Moonraker growing up was one of the like classic uh, war era camp kind of looked down upon films. But you know what? I had a bloody whale of a time with it. Um, yeah, I, I I have found myself really enjoying the silliness of these mm. films. Um, yeah, in fact, there's um, it's Moonraker, right? That there's a big chase through Venice. Yeah, yeah, and I tell you what, what a good scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you want to describe what happens in that scene and and one notable little animal? Yes, yeah, that yeah. Pops so. Up. So he's being chased while on a boat in the in the canals of Venice, and he and he, like a bunch of crazy shits happening. He's like going under bridges, and people are breaking their boats in the path of this while he's being shot at. And then he, it turns out the boat actually has wheels because it's a James Bond gadget. And he ends up driving up along the the road onto the streets of Venice to get away from it. And everyone's doing a double double take there's a man who does a double take then looks at his drink and i think he did that in the spy who loved me as well and it's the same <laughs> actor um and there's a dog that looks and then they there's a shot a close-up shot of a pigeon uh and it's supposed to be doing a double take but it's clearly just a pigeon turning its head being rewound and fast forwarded a few times which and- look <laughs> as editors we've all thought about doing <laughs> everyone like everyone's here oh i need this shot to last slightly longer i'll just reverse the last part of it yeah and then add another second and then you watch it and you look like this fucking pigeon yeah yeah and look i understand that this is maybe more watchable than the more serious bonds but i i feel like this is where the silliness and the campiness starts to feel a little insulting more than refreshing um and I think the pigeon is a great little example of that. And a, a lot of critics, both contemporary and retrospective, consider this to be one of the weaker films in the series. They don't even get to space until like the final half hour. And it's like mm. marketed as James Bond in space. But the that being said, frontier. it's not as ridiculous as James Bond goes to space makes it sound like it will be. Yeah, it's not. He doesn't go to the moon. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't so rake the moon. Yeah. Um, but you may be wondering why why did Moonraker come out instead of For Your Eyes Only like they, they promised at the end of The Spy Who Loved Me. And to understand that, you just need to look at when this film came out, which was 1979. Uh, and what film do you think came out between The Spy Who Loved Me in 1977 and Moonraker mm. in 1979? Jaws, of course. <laughs> yes, of course, Jaws. That's why he's back in this one. Uh, yeah, Star Wars. Star Wars. Is, it, they, they do not hide this fact. They admit it. They go, yeah, Star Wars came out. We're like, shit, we should make a Star Wars James Bond movie. And I think that's part of the reason I don't like it as well. It feels like such a cynical response to Star Wars. Mm, I mean, I didn't know that. And I was just like, hell yeah. Mm. Jaws is back. It does make sense at the same time. Like I'm being I'm being harsh on it like Star Wars was like something that was mildly influencing, but it was probably the most, the, the biggest film that ever existed. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah jaws comes back jaws comes back and in this one he gets a girlfriend um he's mm. working for drax now and at one point he, there's a big gondola fight scene between bond and jaws and when yeah, he defeats not jaws gondola fights, eh? no they need more gondola fights i hope there's more gondola fights in no time to die um and in it he he after he crashes out of the gondola thing he sees like a very strange short uh 
mute girl and they instantly fall in love and and again a very like weirdly sitcom-esque moment <laughs> yeah. in, in this sci-fi action film uh and when they fall in love richard uh, it plays a pretty familiar piece of music um yeah. to, to demonstrate their love you'll have heard it before it goes uh you know you hear it a lot in like the simpsons and commercials and stuff yeah yeah uh and you said to me holy shit is this where it's originally from Mm. is is moonraker the the origin of this track being used to show two people have fallen in love instantly uh and while that would be a pretty cool piece of trivia wouldn't it richard yeah it would be uh it's it's fuck it's it's about a hundred years old by this point uh it's it's an orchestral work by tchaikovsky written around the 1880s called romeo and juliet for romeo and juliet the play um and the familiar section you hear all the time is from about 14 minutes and 20 seconds into the piece and i I listened to the the whole thing to try find it and make sure it was the right track (laughs) look i'm not I didn't expect it to be from I'm not that. sorry. I'm not making fun of you. I'm saying like I was I too was like, oh maybe, maybe this is the origin of that track, but it's like, no, this is a very famous track already. One thing about this film as well that I was immediately on board being like, fuck yeah, was um the the opening scene is fucking cool. <laughs> when oh, they're like yeah, with on a plane yeah. and yeah. then it's like a parachute fight. Like so um jaws and bond and there's one other guy as well right yeah yeah um like are all like falling slash jumping out of a plane and there's a limited number of parachutes Mm. um and so yeah they're having these like mid-air fights to like grab the parachutes off each other jaws is biting bond's trousers um (laughs) and it's it's very exciting and it's you know it's very reminiscent of like um the mission impossible films because it's one of those things that's like you can't at this time you couldn't fake this they actually all had to jump out of planes i'm sure it wasn't literally the actors but yeah i mean it's 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 really good filmmaking it's a really compelling exciting Mm. and like like a cameraman had to have jumped out of a plane with like a fucking Mm. you know actual film yeah a 1970s rig yeah 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 i know you should if you've never seen these movies just look up skydiving scene from moonraker it's a good scene it's a really good scene um and and jaws is also in that and by the end of the film um jaws actually turns good richard because james bond kind of makes it obvious to him that someone as like physically deformed as jaws probably isn't going to make it into hugo drax's you know perfect specimen utopia and Mm. so so jaws and his girlfriend switch sides and actually help them escape um and and as as they help them escape and the ship's kind of exploding um him and his girlfriend sit down and, and pop a bottle of champagne and he pours each of them a glass and they they toast and then and then jaws speaks for the first time in the series and he says well here's to us <laughs> yeah it's very nice yeah uh, and he, he does survive in canon because he they you hear later that they're mentioning that there are two there's a man and a woman left on on moonraker so they go pick them up uh, but he does not appear in the rest of the series or Imagine at least if, not in the um, movies he if he was on the um if he was on this noah's ark and they did create a new race and they all had metal teeth oh. like it's a genetic thing oh that's yeah. my continue the richard <laughs> Uh, there's a battle scene in the recesses of space in this film 
mm. which is pretty reminiscent of the somewhat innovative underwater battle from Thunderball, uh, which I thought that was all right. That was pretty interesting. Um, <laughs> I thought it was all right. But the the problem I think I have is that I can take watching people die underwater, but watching people die in space gives me like existential dread, you know? <laughs> interesting because you're a lot more likely to die underwater aj yeah i know but something about being lost in space is just utterly terrifying to me yeah it's like that tv show um what's it called star wars Um, mandalorian's heroes (laughs) dad's army um (laughs) bond also defeats drax in this film by forcing him into an airlock and releasing him into space a death which frightens and disturbs me on such a profound level, I find it difficult to articulate. And after which Bond makes a silly pun. He's like, oh, he's, he had to fly or something like that. Yeah. And I was like, Bond, how can you say that? I would never, I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I killed someone that way. Um, also, it's worth mentioning. There are um, ways I could live with myself if I killed someone a certain way, but not that way. Sorry. <laughs> uh, it is worth mentioning. This is my favorite um, being caught having sex ending. Mm-hmm. Um, so it ends with um, him and uh, Goodhead uh, yeah. having sex in Zero Gravity. And um, then MI6 back on Earth are like, uh, have a video feed of it. Um, yeah. And they're watching it. And they're just about to have sex. They're just like, you know, intertwined and they're floating. And um, uh, someone says, um, what is he doing? And then he goes... <laughs> I think he's attempting re-entry, sir. <laughs> and it's such like, this is an Austin Powers joke. Mm. Like, this is this is not James Bond. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, James Bond does like <laughs> looks at the camera, like you know, lifts his head up and does like a oh, didn't see you there, and gives like a sly little smile to the camera, and then pushes it away. Um, but like, yeah, it's, take it's very me around the like world a, one more time. Yeah. Mm. uh yeah fantastic ending fantastic film um <laughs> 10 out of 10 um <laughs> yeah so in uh one uh, really cool piece of trivia about moonraker is in march of 2004 rumors surfaced about a lost 1956 version of moonraker by orson wells um which is uh like because i think ian fleming wrote moonraker the book intending it to be adapted into film um and a james bond website repeated it for april's full day in 2004 as a hoax supposedly the recently discovered lost film consisted of 40 minutes of raw footage with dirk bogard as bond wells as drax and peter law as drax's henchman i would have loved to have seen orson wells as drax i don't know what state he was in at this point in in his life but (laughs) that would have been cool um yeah well richard finally in uh 19 when was it 1981 we finally got to for your eyes only the promised film from all the way back in 1977 uh and this was directed by john glenn uh and what do you think this has on ron tomatoes 50 it's got 71 percent, making it the second highest of the bond of the more era of bond uh and what is this movie about uh why don't you tell us aj <laughs> okay i've I've only got my <laughs> back up here so it's not going to be as as um grassroots as your 
synopses. This is just from Wikipedia. Uh, Bond attempts to locate a missile command system while becoming tangled in a web of deception spun by rival Greek businessmen along with Melina Havelock, a woman seeking to avenge the murder of her parents. I Look, okay. That's what it's about, apparently. Um, so, despite taking its title from one of an Ian Fleming's short story anthologies, the plot is mostly inspired by Risico, which is appears also appears in the anthology um, For Your Eyes Only, and is one of the only few James Bond story titles yet to be repurposed for a film. And if you watch my video um, about this, which I'll include in the show notes, it's probably the only reasonable title left that you could turn into a film, I think. Mm. Uh, what did you think of For Your Eyes Only? Uh, For Your Eyes Only is a return to the classic Sean Connery era um, of films in that it's quite hard to follow Mm -hmm. and um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of convolution around the plot Um, (laughs) although this film features some of the best goddamn skiing sequences <laughs> i've ever seen and i've watched eddie the eagle <laughs> um yeah yeah bond there's like a ski chase in this film right mm-hmm. and so he's being um bond is like because we've seen bond ski before i think this is the third out of four <laughs> skiing scenes we've seen so far um and Normally, it's just like, oh, he's trying to get away from someone and they happen to be on slopes. So he chucks on a pair of skis and just, you know, have at it, <laughs> have at it, Bond. And then um, he, but in this one, he's doing tricks and shit. And it's like the, the amount of times that skiing comes up <laughs> in James Bond, it's like, why is why can he ski like what why is he real good at skiing like if you were to list the qualities of a of a a 60s gentleman spy like Mm -hmm. james bond was envisioned to be why would skiing be anywhere near that list like if you were to list if you were to get me to list qualities of a great spy before having seen these movies i would not have said yeah, that like, he has to be good at skiing. You'd say like, but maybe, clearly that's so integral to the character. Yeah, you'd you'd say maybe he's like quite a good driver, or he can fly a plane, or you know, all he's these good different. At sex. Yeah, yeah, but good at skiing. It's one step away from snowboarding, which is one step yeah, which away. He does <laughs> later on, which is one step away from skateboarding, or two steps away from skateboarding. I reckon surfing is in between those two, which he does eventually because the water because the um. The snow melts and becomes water. He does surf. And then it disappears. He surfs in uh, Die Another Day and what is indisputably the worst scene in Bond, the Bond franchise. But we'll get to that. He windsurfs, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's different. Okay. That's one step away from parachuting. (laughs) Which he can also do. (laughs) And and, and, and The Spy Who Loved Me, he skis... (laughs) jumps off a cliff and parachutes <laughs> <laughs> it's all those things and then when he gets to the bottom of the cliff he starts surfing yeah and then he says hang 10 yeah it's weird it's it's inappropriate yeah, it's weird it's weird uh yeah so i thought for your eyes only was fucking boring i thought it, it was <laughs> so hard to follow uh it's 
and yeah it's it's pretty rough going um which is frustrating knowing that this is one of the most critically revered films of the roger moore era uh producers wanted this one to be more grounded and realistic after the criticized absurdity of moonraker uh and while it seems that most of the time critics preferred these grounded approaches uh this with you know this, as i said this film's the second highest ranked uh, i actually find them so horrible there's no like thematic flavor like black exploitation and live and let die or sci-fi yeah, except for skiing yeah and moonraker um you know moonraker at least has sci-fi so it's like cool that's what this one is it's the sci-fi bond this is just original recipe bond it's richard it's yeah. bloody it's a bloody ham sandwich with no mayonnaise or tabasco sauce it feels okay, but you said original recipe and original recipe chicken is fucking delicious i'm not talking about yeah that's chicken this is james bond oh so, sorry i thought this was the kfc podcast <laughs> like it feels like these it's it's a narrative foundation to build upon with influences and styles and ideas but instead it's left naked richard flailing in the breeze where everyone can mm. see its average size penis or it's run of the mill testicles and critics look up and all agree that they're bigger than usual but they're not right is this something that's happened to you no i just got i was so frustrated writing up my report for this film that i <laughs> drew from personal experience yeah yeah with my average size penis and run of the mill testicles <laughs> <laughs> this is the from russia with love of the Moore era it's even similarly referred to as a cold war thriller and both are revered for their realism which both you and i tend to dislike mm. except here um the cold war refers to the um james bond hitting the slopes <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah and he climbs he climbs a mountain in this one he skis as you said there's a climax where him and the love interest are dragged through the ocean by a boat um and i originally i wrote that's about all i can remember but wait no there's some other things i remember about this apparent serious film in the series <laughs> which is that it opens with a very silly scene that completely yeah, yeah, mocks yeah. the seriousness of um on her majesty's secret service the best film of the sean connery era which doesn't even the have best sean film connery of era. the franchise yeah yeah maybe no, that's not true no, no that's not true um it starts with with James Bond visiting his his dead wife's grave, uh, only to be attacked by a still alive Blofeld in a wheelchair, and it, it culminates in Bond stealing the helicopter that Blofeld's controlling, picking him up with the helicopter feet. What are those parts of a helicopter called? Uh, the, the toes. The toes, and he drops him. You th- <laughs> like you thought feet was silly, but no, I went even toes. sillier. <laughs> and he ends up dropping him down like a, a like an industrial chimney, uh, yeah. and it's like curse you, James Bond, and it's like this is how you're starting your grounded and realistic one that is just supposed to make up for how silly Moonraker is. Um, yeah. It's very stupid, and it makes me angry that they don't have enough respect for their own law to leave blowfeld out of it uh and yeah the f- and then like because also you know we, you, you kind of glossed over it but the fact that he visits his wife's grave mm. continuity yeah yeah that's not his wife it's, it's the, the other guy george lazenby's wife and are they the same person yeah Ooh. Ooh, but a bit a bit of a treat for next episode maybe Ooh. So it also ends, I don't know if you remember this, but the film ends with them calling Margaret Thatcher to let her know about Bond's accomplishment. And it's a very scathing portrayal of Margaret Thatcher. And she's got a real dumb husband. uh, And then a parrot talks to her. I imagine that's probably a a reference to what the, the, you know, 
the general public thought of Margaret Thatcher's husband. Yeah, I know. But it's still like, it's a weird like sketch comedy approach to the end of your oh, yeah, serious for sure. and, and grounded So movie. they put, um, there's like, she's talking to a parrot and she thinks she's talking to James Bond. Mm, yeah. And it's all like, give us a kiss, give us a kiss. And they're like, Bond, how could you say that to Margaret Thatcher? And British <laughs> British audiences in 1981 were like, yeah, fuck Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, disrespect her. Um, which I'm not criticizing, I'm just saying. It's- but now you're like, oh, she deserves a lot of respect, Margaret Thatcher. No, I'm not. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. AJ. Those coal miners, those coal miners deserve better, dude. <laughs> I've I've heard you praise Margaret Thatcher in the past. <laughs> no, no, I was praising Meryl Streep as Margaret Thatcher. When I was watching this film and I messaged you, I was like, oh man, they they uh Margaret Thatcher appears at the end. You're like, really? Is it actually Margaret Thatcher? And I was like, no, no. And you were so disappointed that it was just an actress. <laughs> and then when you I found to out see that your old pal Maggie Thatch. <laughs> then when I found out they were making fun of her, I was like, inappropriate. Worst film in the series. I'm going to rip this to shred. Shreds in, yeah. the, in the to episode. to one shred. To one to a single shred. All right, now it's time, Richard, to return gracefully and with with poise to problematic corner. Uh, but actually, in a rare moment of somewhat, you know, moral straightforwardness, Bond actually rejects the advances of a much younger woman in this film, which is borderline classy. <laughs> you know, like she, her yeah. name's Bibi, and she wants she she like forces a kiss on him, and he's like, "You're too young for me," and and offers to buy her ice cream. Uh, and yeah. I wish more stuff like this happened, but this would actually be completely undone in two films' time when the then 57-year-old Roger Moore shares a love scene with a 31-year-old woman. Uh, so woman. <laughs> let's that let's put a pin in that for now and move on to Octopussy. Hell yeah. In 1980... Stop writing the years for some reason. 1983. Three. And this was directed by... Uh, John Glenn, what do you think this has on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, three. 41%, which is the <laughs> lowest so far, but not the lowest we'll see for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so 41%, yeah. lowest, lowest James Bond rated movie so far. Uh, Octopussy, a movie which when I was a kid, I just thought it was a movie about a woman with eight vaginas. Um, yeah, I still think know, it this, is. <laughs> this was they never say it's not um and this is like a, a i don't know i feel like this is what one of the most unbelievable movies in the series even just for yeah I, I watched one. this at work and um someone was like uh what are you doing i was like watching a movie and they like, what movie and i was like octopussy and they they reacted like i'd told them i was watching porn um <laughs> and i was like it's a james bond movie and they were like i don't know who that is and then they walked away 
They don't know who James Bond is. No, I made that part up. Okay. What is Octopussy about? Uh, so this one's the, the Fabergé egg one. <laughs> <laughs> That's the theme. Um, yeah, so this is about... Um, yeah, there's a Fabergé egg and it's all about like, oh, there's a fake one, there's a real one and they have to figure out... They go to an auction, they have to figure out who bought it um, and then he meets Octopussy who there's like... There's a cult um, and like she goes by Octopussy and she has a tattoo of an octopus that she calls her Octopussy. And um, there's like a circus troupe and mm-hmm. there's a, a like an island or something of... Um, inhabited by women um so so clearly you have even less of an idea of what this movie's about than i do (laughs) yeah (laughs) because to begin with i was like fuck yeah auction sign me up and then um again you're just like oh man where is this going (laughs) it goes on for so long i have never i wrote this i wrote a letterboxd review when i rated this film which said i have never struggled to stay awake more during a film than re-watching this and when i watched it for the first time in 2012 when i was re-watching them all for the first time for skyfall i i remembered nothing about i remember being in a trance watching this film and all i remembered was like flashes of the imagery um but this is what Wikipedia says the plot is. Uh, Bond is assigned the task of following a general who is stealing jewels and relics from the so- Soviet government. This leads him to a wealthy Afghan prince named Kamal Khan, who I do not remember, and his associate Octopussy, and the discovery of a plot to force to, to force disarmament in Western Europe with the use of a nuclear weapon. There is a bomb. I remember the bomb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some bomb-ass kush. <laughs> While the film takes its title from another collection of short James Bond stories written by Ian Fleming called Octopussy and the Living Daylights, it is a completely original story, though it does borrow a scene from one of the other short stories in the collection, The Property of a Lady, which I think refers to the gem in this. Yeah, well, the the whole, the concept of the auction. Well, yeah, because they talk about, they reference the property of a lady lady in the film. Yeah, yeah. Um, But, so is the the whole Octopussy storyline not anything to do with the story octopussy yeah no barely any of i think not since like um maybe i think the man with the golden gun is the last time it's like explicitly based on the book huh yeah well i'll be a ding dong daddy from dumas (laughs) 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 yeah what did you think of octopussy (laughs) uh i mean like i said i i I was the first 45 minutes to an hour i was like it was pretty cool um and then it just kind of loses you um Mm. yeah octopussy is a weird one because when um you messaged me and you were like when i was growing up i thought this was about a woman with eight vaginas and i thought it was as well um (laughs) and i think most people probably did um but i was like for some reason i thought it involved aliens for a long time and that mm-hmm. i think that you know he meets this alien woman or it's like implied that she's not from earth because she had eight vaginas and and you know um <laughs> earth women have far fewer than that most of the time um hmm. earth whereas, women have have, but have one to two vaginas yeah yeah exactly um and uh and then i was like oh or it's like about a secret 
tribe or something like that and then it kind of is about that um yeah and i think maybe in my mind i knew that little tidbit of information and i had just conflated it um to be uh you know a a a woman who's not from here and i you know interpreted it that as as here being earth i think that maybe the poster might have influenced did you ever see the poster for this film it's it's probably one of my favorite james bond posters no only when you pointed it out i um is when i went and looked at it it's Octopussy hugging James Bond from behind, but she's got eight arms. So I thought maybe mm. that's what you were thinking. Which, by the way, why is James Bond so fucking octopus-themed? Why does it, out of all the animals, next to pigeons, octopus come up in the series the most, I think. Octopodes. Spectre. Yeah. Yeah. There's an octopus in, um... There's an octopus in The Spy Who Loved Me, I think. You know, anyway, uh, too many yeah, I, I, I had a, I had a, had a rough time with this, the man, this film, man. I was so sleepy and I was trying, like I was, my head was like bobbing up and down because I kept like falling asleep and waking up immediately. I, I'd never actually fully fall asleep though, because otherwise I would have rewatched it. But part of me, part of me hates this movie because like Moonraker, it really dives so far into the silliness that it's just off-putting. Like, this film ends with James Bond dressed as a clown at a circus, disarming a Bond. And it's like, I should never see James Bond dressed as a clown. Um, but at the same yeah. time, I I kind of admire how, like, fragrantly it leans into what was on the record as being the series' main problem at the time. Like, how do you get to yeah. Octopussy? It's, it, people are telling you that they don't like the, how... how silly these movies have gotten you've just made for your eyes only and then the next one you go he should dress up as a clown in it <laughs> it's such, it's a bizarre decision. like he's literally literally a clown yeah yeah <laughs> like yeah it's i thought it was great um i think this is my least least favorite one but i also find i think i put it least favorite because i just found it so hard to um judge it because i like and hate it at the same time and i think just because it, it threw me through such a torture a torment i was like you know yeah. what it's getting last place um <laughs> so this film was released in the same year as never say never again which actually played mm, pretty heavily into roger moore's decision to reprise the role um since the spy who loved me had been returning on a contract to contract basis and while producers at the time had been looking for, uh, for new actors to take on the role including timothy dalton um but upon Ooh. learning th- upon learning that sean connie was returning for the rival film never say never again roger moore was recontracted as to avoid trying to establish a new bond while also competing with like you know the classic yeah 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 so there you go we we haven't watched never say never again i think we're going to watch it for film franchise follow-ups for our patreon yeah, so show. if you want so, to hear what we think of it you gotta sign up to our patreon chump patreon.com slash cult popshire all right problematic corner surprisingly yeah. i didn't find myself too perturbed by any of the sexual exploits in a film called octopussy um but i did think it was pretty racist in some parts because <laughs> they go to india and a lot of it's said in india and the way it portrays india is so juvenile there's there's a chase sequence early on in the film in which bond fights off off bad guys using a bed of nails a snake being charmed and a sword swallower's sword all in the space of about a minute and it really feels <laughs> like the writers had a brainstorm and came up with all the indian things they could think of yeah they were like just cram them all into one go <laughs> yeah 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 so, so that's not great but yeah any more thoughts on octopussy uh no i'm keen to talk about a view to a kill though 
Well, A View to a Kill came out in 1985, Richard. It was also directed by John Glenn, and it has the lowest score we've seen so far. What do you think that score is? Uh, 38. 36. Wow. So, Richard, what is A View to a Kill about? All right, so in this one, um, he's investigating uh, millionaire Max Zorin, played by Christopher Mm -hmm. Walken, um, who's trying to um corner the market in microchips one yeah. of those classic like 80s like oh microchips <laughs> that's like <laughs> his plan is to destroy silicon valley um yeah. like you know detonating explosives beneath the san andreas fault line yeah. um yeah. and yeah and you know he's got uh he's got a hench woman played mm-hmm. by grace jones um yeah this is pre- acting ability from grace jones um, and her name is mayday yeah yeah so th- this is this is technically the first time a bond film did not take its title from an ian fleming novel or short story there is a short story called from a view to a kill yeah yeah, yeah. so it, it technically is a different title but obviously heavily based off from a view to a kill uh where this is just a view to a kill uh what did you think of this film uh this might be my favorite <laughs> what really yeah honestly i max zoran well it was a great villain i loved watching christopher walken um i loved yeah i was sad to see roger moore go you know um the the plot was like suitably mustache twirling Mm -hmm. and yeah i I don't know i just had a great time with it and then there's like this big chase scene on a on a fire truck um yeah that was very fun fun scene yeah i agree yeah He's like hanging off the ladder as it's swinging around. That's good. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I, I this I really enjoyed this one. And I love Duran Duran. <laughs> you do the theme song. theme song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's the, I also really like the final battle, which happens atop the Golden Gate Bridge between Zorin and Bond. Um, yeah. and, and I was watching it and I was like, this has got such a game you play in the playground when you're a kid energy like Mm. and i felt this i mentioned this i think i mentioned this when we watched mission impossible which ends the first mission impossible ends on a train like a battle on a train top atop a train and it's that kind of thing where it's like i feel like i played so many games on the playground as a kid where there was a good guy and a bad guy and we were fighting each other on a bridge and we're hanging off the monkey bars and pretending it was a bridge and stuff Mm. like that it just it it felt very influential or at least very um quintessential for that that kind of action scene um that being said i did find this one somewhat tedious uh it's not as much of a bombardment as octopussy um but yeah i don't think i hated it it's yeah yeah i don't know i i i I don't think i liked it as much as you but um i don't think it's the worst of the more era as ron martis thinks no i agree uh, so when when a company name similar to Zoran, the Zoran company, was discovered in the United States, a disclaimer was added to the start of the film, affirming that <laughs> Zoran was not related to a real life company. So that's kind of kind of interesting. Yeah. 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 Um, David Bowie was originally set to play the part of Max Zoran, oh, uh, but eventually yeah, awesome. turned it down. He turned it down, saying, "I didn't want to spend five months watching my stunt double fall off cliffs." yikes dude the, the sun has just come up i've never been staring out my window at this time of day and the sun is like directly <laughs> look on the webcam you can see that I'm like, yeah, yeah. 
so there's a part in this film where uh, Bond runs into... This is Problematic Corner. We'll get it out of the way. Oh, 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 oh Jesus Christ. Sharp left turn into Problematic Corner. He runs into and subsequently bangs a Russian agent with whom he has clearly had a history with, right? Um, and while it's the audience's first time meeting her, it was originally intended to be Anya Amasova, Agent Triple X from The Spy oh. Who Loved Me, and that would have been cool. Now, that's not the problematic part. The problematic part is that um, it's problematic that they didn't make the cooler decision of casting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think it's she didn't want to turn that. It's problematic that he's having sex out of wedlock. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, the problematic part is, as I said before, um, people were very critical of uh the fact that bond gets with a 31 year old woman when he was 57 at the time of filming um i think sure uh roger moore was like uh, after finding out i think that he was older than the mother of the actress uh in mm. 2000 in a 2007 interview he said i was only about 400 years too old for the part <laughs> um, um and but at the same also, time it's like you know people their age can get together and that's, there's that's nothing the wrong thing. With that. And exactly, it is a, it's not even really problematic. It's just mildly, you know, hmm, um, which is a step up from from the Sean Connery era. From, but wow, speaking of Sean Connery, right. <laughs> you've got to prove <laughs> Yeah, it. yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, uh, Sean Connery in when this film came out was quoted as saying, "Bond should be played by an actor 35, 33 years old. I'm too old. Roger's too old too." So that was Sean Connery's take, who had literally just played Bond and never <laughs> say never again at like the age of 52, which uh, <laughs> Daniel Craig is currently 51. So there you go. Oh, well. Any more thoughts about A View to a Kill? One thing, uh, well, well, the one thing I kind of want to mention about it, um, we'll talk about when we talk about Roger Moore, generally mm-hmm. speaking. But yeah, I, I I had a great time with this film. The, like I, I had seen... I think a still from this before and like that was highlighting in an article that was highlighting how old Roger Moore is and like he's getting up there in age a little bit but I don't know there's something still believable about it in a way yeah he's not that he doesn't look that old I don't think he does yeah yeah so okay well let's talk about Roger Moore as Bond is he you know like what's the what are your thoughts on so, him as a character last episode previously on the cult publisher podcast we yep. discussed that we thought sean connery was the worst bond and mm-hmm. you know what well i think roger moore is the best bond um, how do you how do you say that please explain your thoughts <laughs> so i think obviously daniel craig is the most interesting character mm-hmm uh like you know outside of being bond he's got the most depth he's he's where he's flawed it's so much more interesting uh but i think and because we got a little bit of flack not full flack not really but um a little a lot bit. of people agreed with us yeah yeah um but the people that disagreed with us um clearly just grew up with sean connery and um mm-hmm. you know can't back up their opinion other than he's the best um but someone uh, mentioned to us that like you're forgetting the fact that james bond is the gentleman spy and Mm -hmm. that's that's supposed to be what sean connery sean Sean connery uh exemplifies and but 
n- nothing he does is particularly gentlemanly. If if that's that person's idea of a gentleman c- c- going around committing all these sex crimes, then you know, I worry for that for that person. But <laughs> I think that um that, that that term stuck with me the the gen- the 60s gentleman spy and i think yeah. that's what roger moore really nails and um it's not it's not about this isn't when uh people needed depth and flaws from their character but he's he's so charming and he's and he's gentlemanly and the one kind of because it's so often watching these movies i would message you and be like fuck roger moore's good and i agree it would just be it would always be just like he would give a look or there would be some kind of non sequitur and i would be like fuck he's exemplifying everything i want this era of james bond to be and yeah it's actually like one of his very one of if not his very last line that i was like this is i was able to pinpoint this is what it is and it's in a view to a kill when at the end of it uh you know as you say the fight takes place on the golden gate bridge and him and um the the love interest are stuck up there and he says there's never a cab when you need one because obviously (laughs) cabs don't drive up to the top of the golden gate bridge (laughs) because they can't fly um and it, it sort of struck me in that moment is that like he's he's making this joke to make her feel safe He's not yeah. making light of the situation. He doesn't not give a shit about it, um, which is what Sean Connery kind of did. It was just like, yeah, mm. fuck, I'm cool. Like, you know, we talked about Sean Connery's entrance in Diamonds Are Forever, how he like shoves Blofeld into boiling mud and it's just like, ha, fuck you, pussy. Um, yeah. And it's like, <laughs> this guy doesn't give a shit about any of this and it just comes across as, as crass and it's like, mm. um, but whereas- in this one, this 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 Roger Moore identifies that she's terrified by the situation, so he makes a joke to sort of calm her and and, and ease her, um, ease her mood. And that yeah, that that really struck me, and that exemplified the gentleman spy that they're going for. Yeah. Is that it's the yeah. gentlemanly thing to do, and also it fits James Bond as uh, you know quippy and yeah and all that kind of thing. That's a good perspective of it. And I think, yeah, I th- so so most, many like of the contemporary critical responses to the Moore era are the most British complaints, I think. I think that it's very grating to see reviews talk of Connery era with such high praise and dissecting Bond as if he was ever more than like a two-dimensional character. And they all lament Roger Moore for being too silly, but it's silly by British standards, you know what I mean? Mm, and so yeah. from the perspective of a New Zealander in 2020, I'm just going to say it, Richard. Roger Moore Bond isn't that silly. <laughs> it's it's actually a pretty subdued silliness, you know, and when it becomes a problem, I think it's because it's subdued silliness. It's not radical. It's things like the pigeon or the slide whistle and, and like, it, it just evokes... It evokes images in my head of old British men chortling at these wacky ideas and being like, <laughs> and then then Bond makes the most daft yet cutting pun, you know? Like that's what it is. It's it's like a very haughty torty idea of what silliness is, and I think that with what you're saying combined with that being the biggest criticism of him as a character, I think you're right. I think he is the not maybe not the best character we've seen James Bond be, but the best James Bond. Yeah, I, I I I haven't read any of the books, but I imagine this is the best interpretation of what Ian Fleming intended. Um, Maybe, and 
yeah like his his witticisms come across as this is a quick-witted fellow not oh this is a fucking asshole <laughs> yeah yeah i agree cool all right well so that's that's that we've we've crowned sean uh, roger moore probably the best bond um what do you think is the best villain in the series so we talked about villains a bit before so i've got the i've got some of the villains here so here's here's the villains that appear in the series there's kananga slash mr big they're the same guy um and here's two henchmen one is called tee who has hooks for hands and laughs and one is called whisper who whispers uh then the man with the golden gun is scaramanga and knickknack uh yeah scaramanga and knickknack carl stromberg and jaws from uh the spy loved me hugo drax from moonraker aris christatos from uh for your eyes only kamal khan from octopussy and max zoran and mayday from from a view to a kill who's the best one do you reckon uh i'm gonna have to go either jaws Mm -hmm. or max zoran just because i like because christopher walken's great Mm mm-hmm not not scaramanga doesn't make it in uh scaramanga's cool but um yeah no i'm gonna go jaws just for iconography nice yeah yeah i get that i get that well richard let's talk about theme songs because as we mentioned last week and as is just fact uh every james bond movie has a theme song attached to it and they'll do like an opening sequence which is full of some lovely motion graphics of sexy ladies dancing across the screen and they always license a big artist to do a theme song for it so Mm. they 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 give them a license to absolutely kill the theme song yeah uh, so Live and Let Die has the song Live and Let Die by Wings, which is Paul McCartney's band. Yeah, right? and how does that go? It goes, Live and Let Die, boom, boom. Yeah, it's got a bunch of different, it's, it sounds very different at different times of the song, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and as I said earlier in the episode, I feel like this is the most transcendent Bond song. I think this is the one which maybe this and Skyfall are the only ones that I remember hearing outside of the context of it being a Bond song and just playing in real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also there's a quite a famous um, cover of this by Guns N' Roses. Right. Um, yeah, well, there which you is, go. Yeah, which who I've seen live a couple of times and makes this uh, one of a few bond themes i've seen perform live mm. very mm. nice what uh i think this is the best one we've heard so far uh yeah it probably is you're right mm. although yeah. yeah i said thunderball is in my like top couple and maybe it still is but yeah actually no i, pr- I maybe prefer thunderball as a bond theme Ooh. but i probably prefer live and let die as a song yeah yeah and it was the first time a rock song a rock and roll song had been done and I don't know, there's a bunch of really boring behind-the-scenes stuff that I read where I was like, it, it nearly wasn't chosen because it, they didn't think it fit the tone enough. Da, 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 da. <laughs> the only valid criticism I saw was like, maybe it should have been like an African-American artist who did it. If yeah, It's yeah, such yeah. a, but then a, I, a I, like, I exploitation that, like, film. You know, getting one of the fucking Beatles to, to yeah. introduce, because I imagine the public was pretty cold on, um, Rog- on someone else taking over the role. So, like, you know, you get paul Mm. mccartney to yeah Mm. in terms of opening sequences as well it's probably the best one it's like it's very very voodoo with all the the voodoo stuff and like skulls on fire and yeah it's very well done so the man with the golden gun has the man with the golden gun the song by lulu 
Uh, yep. And that goes... He, he has the power to make bread from flour. The man with the golden gun. <laughs> to make bread from flour? Yeah. Is that actually the line? No, no, no. Oh, okay. This is the tune. You? And I just filled it in with, um, you know, <laughs> uh, those words. As I have the power to make bread from flour. Yeah. Am I the man with the golden gun? Uh, what? This is a great song. This is oh, fun. This is good. Banger, eh? This yeah, is, this so is the the only one I think that we've been introduced to that I was like aware of because, as I say, I've like I've listened to all of them, but I would just be like, as well as ones that because I'm I'm not a huge Lulu fan. <laughs> not that I dislike <laughs> Lulu. I just you know, um, but I I would just skip through and be like, okay, this is what this this one sounds like. But hearing it in the context of the film and like listening to the whole thing man what a fucking good song this is this yeah. this probably uh peaked into my top five mm-hmm. um and again yeah. it's a real good opening sequence as well um really yeah. cool all right so the next we saw was the spy who loved me has a song called nobody does it better by carly simon and boy do i have a story about this song <laughs> oh yeah because so the 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 chorus the 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 you know the lyrical hook is nobody does it better right and so lj hooker right that's what i'm about to talk about so this is significance for anyone who grew up in new zealand because there's an old commercial for lj hooker which is a real estate company i think um which featured a very similar jingle to the to the song's chorus and i always assumed they're the same song but i don't think they are i listened to them back to back because listening to the nobody does it better and the spy who loved me i was like okay uh what uh, because i was like what ad is it that that used to have nobody does it better playing and i thought it was lj hooker but then i was like no lj hooker was thank you mr hooker and then LJ Hooker, you're the best. And so I thought that LJ Hooker, you're the best was like, I was conflating those two tunes together. But then I found an ad where it literally has, nobody does it better. LJ Hooker, you're the best. So I'm going to, I'm going to edit this in. I'm going to play you the, uh, open the, the, the chorus hook from nobody does it better from the, from the spy who loved me now. Nobody does it better. Okay, and this is the ad, the jingle at the end of the LJ Hooker ads in New Zealand. And I just think that's crazy, you know? Like, I know you didn't hear them at the same time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, Fuck, dude, that's so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny, man. Like, it's it's such a funny way to, like, associate, you know, have that song stay in your memory. Um, but, yeah, this song's all right. I think it's 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 not as good as the last two, but it's okay. Yeah, it's not as, like, jazzy and upbeat. This is, no. this is a precursor to uh, the Craig era. Well, mm. late Craig yeah. era. Um, yeah, kind of. Yeah style yeah um yeah Yeah. and then moonraker we got moonraker by shirley bassey so this is her final theme song for the series though as we said in last episode she did record a track for quantum of solace called no good about goodbye which was rejected in favor of another way to die by jack white and alicia keys um i consider moonraker for your eyes only and all time high from octopus to be the skyfall writings on the wall and no time to die of the more era like these are (laughs) these these three the next three are like the same song 
mm. just slightly adjusted. They all the the like the ones before this are different genres and have different like identifiable themes. And then a view to a kill by Duran Duran, which comes out after, is very different from the other mm. three. But these three are I you know this one is like um just like moon. the moon raker yeah that's sort of how it goes yeah. um but yeah th- so this is one of oh sorry nobody does it better is one of seven musical themes in the james bond series which when which the song title is not the name of the film uh moonraker obviously does not apply to that i should have said that with the last one so yeah what do you think <laughs> of the moonraker song any more thoughts uh yeah it's just kind of a a boring shirley bassy one <laughs> like yeah it's yeah. just um you could just replace the word moonraker with goldfinger or mm. golden eye or or any yeah. of the single word ones and it's like yeah, yeah. okay whatever <laughs> yeah uh so for your eyes only has for your eyes only by sheena easton uh which goes for your eyes only <laughs> and it's just it's such a uh, i don't know i didn't like it i was bored by yeah it. also um I, I i noticed um that we see sheena easton um mm. in the the credits uh which up until now is the only time we've seen the artist in yeah. in the the opening title and of all the artists like you know, i guess sheena <laughs> easton has that much pull in 1981 <laughs> um to be like i'll only do it if people can see me doing it um and you don't turn down sheena easton especially if it's 1981 no never do that uh octopussy has all-time high by rita coolidge which goes it's an all-time high (laughs) and if you're like "Hmm, that sounds very similar to for your eyes only yes it does uh i this yeah whatever this is fine i don't know i presumably (laughs) rita rita coolidge didn't want to do a song called octopussy so uh yeah i wonder if she had that choice (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh any thoughts on all-time high yeah no it's just another like boring yeah yeah ballady kind of one yeah well then we we explode i'm glad it's not called octopussy though (laughs) we explode in completely the opposite direction with a view to a kill by duran duran um which isn't i think I think people have have issues with the song itself, but at least it breaks up the monotony of the last three. Yeah. Um. And how does that go? That one's like da da da. From a view to a kill. Dance into the fire. A fatal kiss. Yeah, this song's fucking awesome. It's very Duran Duran. I'm a big Duran Duran fan fan. yeah um yeah this song is a banger yeah (laughs) uh it is like it makes you want to get up and move your feet is it one of the only examples where them literally going with the biggest artist at the time was the best choice because usually Uh, when they do that the song's not yeah uh skyfall i'd say you know there's an argument you made Mm. there hmm um this duran duran were selected because they were like we need to get young people into james bond yeah and you know it's it's literally 1985 like yeah 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 it's like having back to the future write the theme song (laughs) so those are the songs for this era uh now we're going to move on to dumb imdb trivia richard uh so if you don't know and we've said this a hundred times but imdb trivia is user submitted so some of it is 
is real dumb. So here's a few fun little pieces of dumb IMDb trivia. Uh, Roger Moore is the first actor to perform the gun barrel sequence without a hat. Because, <laughs> boy, boy, has that been lost to, to what people think of when they think of the gun barrel sequence. Yeah, yeah. he used to wear a hat in them. Doesn't anymore. Yeah. Um, in Live and Let <laughs> Die, we see Bond's apartment for the second time until Spectre in 2015. Uh, amongst wow. its fixtures uh, is a machine for making coffee that is treated as a gadget. Today's audiences will recognize it as an espresso machine. La Pavini, to be exact. And that's just one of those things where it's like how it's written clearly indicates there's a person behind the keyboard and it trivia yeah, yeah, should be objective, yeah. goddammit. <laughs> the part of the, on the bridge of the crocodile farm and live and die was extremely dangerous to film since crocodiles are able to jump up from the water and attack, which the crew found out relatively shortly before filming. <laughs> like, you're working with crocodiles and you don't have a crocodile expert who can tell you that. <laughs> um... My favourite piece of dumb IMDb trivia for this episode is Bond tells T. He by the hook, not butter hook. Because there's a part where T. He uses his hooks to try and grab something and he slips and they fall out of his hooks. And Bond goes, butter hook, as in butter fingers. But this, this trivia writer clearly is fed up with people misquoting it, which I don't think it is a misquote. I think this trivia is wrong. Whereas <laughs> it just says in very plain terms, Bond tells T he by the hook, not butter hook. Um, <coughs> so there you go. Uh, the man with the golden gun, while on location in Thailand, Sir Roger Moore found a cave full of bats. He couldn't resist seeking out Christopher Lee and telling him that he had jo- found and joking, what he had found and joking, master, they are yours to command. Lee appreciated the joke, who of course played Dracula. <laughs> but i love that it notes lee appreciated the joke like that's yeah. a very relevant part of this trivia yeah i mean um, i was getting worried when you were telling her. i was like no he's <laughs> gonna Rog. hate this rog don't bro <laughs> don't rog <laughs> uh while do- when while doing the title sequence title title designer maurice binder ran into a problem that one of the nude models and this is just i don't really want to know this much about how what goes on behind the scenes um one of the nude models her pubic hair was sticking up when they needed it flat after a few minutes of her trying and failing to get it right binder smeared a, a, her pubic hair with vaseline uh, she gave binder the brush and told him to fix the hair to how he needed it the whole thing was seen by sir roger moore and producer harry saltzman causing moore to turn to saltzman and quip if you're the producer of this film you're not getting the perks because what is brushing someone's pubic hair if not a perk? Um, also, <laughs> poor form, Roger Moore. That's a creepy thing to say. The Spy yeah. Who Loved Me. Uh, though there there is an Ian Fleming novel, The Spy Who Loved Me, the movie doesn't use any elements of the, of the novel. In that sense, it is the only Fleming James Bond novel to not be made into a movie as of now. That's just not true. <laughs> That's just not true. Most of them aren't that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, in a view to a kill bond beds four women in this movie which is a tie for the for the most at the time of release uh with never say never again so look forward to that when we watch 52 year old sean connery bedding over four women who i'm sure are in a his age range <laughs> yeah <coughs> i've got like a coffee ground in my throat <clears> throat> mm. uh, and last piece of last piece coffee of literal Last piece of uh, IMDb trivia. 
The literal translations for some of Live and Let Die's foreign language titles include The Dead Slave slash It Is To Them To Die in Japan, uh, Live and Leave To Die in France, Allowed To Leave Alone To Die in Poland, uh, To Live and Let Die, that's just the title. Oh, it's to live and let die in Norway. Uh, with 007, you live and let die in Brazil, and let it die in Brazil. Agent 007, live and let die in Italy, and live and let others die in Finland. <laughs> so while we're talking about titles, let's talk yeah, about titles. Let's talk about titles. Uh, what do you think of the Roger Moore titles? What, which one's your favourite? Um, okay, I like live and let die. I like Moonraker. I like For Your Eyes Only. I like A View to a Kill. I hate The Spy Who Loved Me. Mm-hmm. And Octopussy, just because it's embarrassing to say that you're watching that movie. The Man with yeah. the Golden Gun might have been my least favorite title before I watched the movie. Okay. Um, and now it's not quite my least favorite, but I still do not really like it. Okay. So, last episode, you'll remember, I, I broke them up into categories of title that James Bond films seem to, to uh, you know, fall under. So, this is, this is, I'll just go over them again. So, category one is a poetic or mysterious turn of phrase which communicates a key idea or piece of imagery from the film. So, last week, that was from Russia with Love, You Only Live Twice, Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, and I think the only one from this era is A View to a Kill. Like, that's a poetic or mysterious turn of phrase which communicates a key idea you know? what about what, what not for your eyes only no for your eyes only is broad titles you could give to literally any of the films in the series right okay which last week we saw on her majesty's secret service and this week we saw the spy who loved me and for your eyes only like any of the films could be called that they're, they're what broad. about live and live and let live and let die i would argue well, live and let die is part of a new category which is ominous phrases which don't really refer to anything specific in the film or franchise itself right Unless so it's ominous count- rather than poetic uh yeah sure but it, no because the first category is specific to the film nothing in live and let die is about those Living that idea and letting die yeah and nothing in bond in general is specifically unless you're counting death as part of it which you could i guess um and the final category which is looking to be the most stacked at this stage is literally just a name of a character setting or prominent event in the film often but always not always adjective plus noun so that was goldfinger thunderball dr no technically and this week the man with the golden gun is kind of a cross between that and them the first category of turn of phrase which communicates a key idea uh moonraker and octopussy also fit into this category so there you go yeah. uh what do you think of the titles overall um my favorite one in this lot would maybe be live and let die i think that's a pretty dope title yeah um a view to a kills cool as well yeah yeah do you dislike any of them like i do I think the spy who loved me is like, it's the most off-brand title they've ever done. Yeah, 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 and that's what I think about the man with the golden guns, kind of off-brand as well. Right, Fair and enough. the, the yeah, fact yeah. that they're back to back as well is kind of just like, all right. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. 
All right, Richard, we've got one final segment for the show before we rank it, and that is continue the franchise. Boo, 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 where boo, we boo, pitch boo, boo. our continuation of the franchise, which is always difficult when we're doing franchises and segments such as this. So Roger Moore never returned to the franchise in any of the ways as dramatic as Sean Connery, but characters and plot lines would appear in a plethora of video games and comic books and stuff within the extended universe of the series in the future um but what we thought we'd do for this this continue the franchise richard you and i both ended up landing on the same idea as we're going to take some of the classic characters from the more era and recast them with their modern day counterparts as if they were going to appear alongside daniel craig in one of the modern movies uh, um you know uh christoph waltz as blofeld exactly so let's start with jaws and i reckon It'd be pretty easy to cast any large actor as Jaws these days. Your Dwayne Johnsons, yeah. your John Cena's, and if he hadn't already starred Inspector, your Dave Batista's, your Dolph Lundgren's. Dolph Lundgren's actually in. I think he's in A View to a Kill briefly. Um, oh well, um, so the, uh, Dave Batista's Inspector. So you fucked up as well, idiot. <laughs> what did I say? You said Dave Batista. I'm just saying. I said but... had already starred Inspector. Oh damn it. <laughs> oh yeah, Duff Lundgren is in um, Love You to a Kill. Yeah. Um, well, but going on... fucking Slafford, um, I don't know. You're just a bloody ding-dong daddy from Dumas, dude. I am. Um, but going on from the Connery episode where you suggested that a modern Goldfinger would be like a young African-American social media influencer, um, I think the key to Jaws is not necessarily him being well-built. It's the teeth and him being resilient, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, I think... Jason Statham could be a good cast, uh, but if you wanted to go for for stunt casting, you could go Gina Carano, have a female Jaws, mm. or you could go Spindly, someone slim like Adrian Brody. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think uh, you'd need to get a TV actor though, because I don't think a film actor would do such a small role. You know? Yeah, but I don't know. James Bond's pretty respected as a franchise. I could see someone That's doing true. it. What do you think? What were your ideas for Jaws? Uh, yeah, I I was just kind of thinking along the like wrestler route. So yeah, yeah, your John Cena's, right. your um Triple H. Mm-hmm. Is Andre mm-hmm. the Giant still working? No, unfortunately. No. Uh. I you asked me when we were doing this, you're like, I can't <laughs> wait to see who you'd cast as Adam Driver, and I I intentionally left Adam Driver out of this because it's so tempting. But I do well, think who if you would he was cast gonna... as Adam Driver, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I think Adam Driver could do Jaws if he wasn't, you know, too famous for it. Adam now. Driver could do anything, man. That's true. That's true. Nick uh, Nack, the dwarf from um, uh, the Man with the Golden Gun, I cast as Peter Dinklage, and I don't say that just because he's the only dwarf actor I know, but because he actually played Hervé Vichales in a 2018 HBO biopic nobody saw called My Dinner with Hervé. So there oh, you go, he's already done done the role. But um, the guy from um from Bad Santa. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, nice. Um, Sheriff J W Pepper. Who would you cast as Sheriff J W Pepper? adam driver mate he'd be pretty good at it yeah like you just just this the character he plays in black clansman like the character that his character plays in black clansman just have him mm. play that just this racist yeah. real racist clan member cop yeah my suggestion for J- sheriff jw pepper is Stephen root i think is probably the- oh fuck yeah no that's perfect um yeah or um chris farley if he was still around <laughs> mm, yeah uh agent triple x so agent triple x needs to be a female version of bond 
Um, and I can think of, I think maybe more in terms of age and look than general vibe of their specific careers. I think maybe the female version of Daniel Craig is maybe someone like Patricia Arquette. You know, if you were going for what an authentic an odd choice. Well, I looked. She's. I looked up fifty-one-year-old actresses, and I was like, "Yeah, she she fits." Um, you know, going for an authentic counterpart as opposed to casting a young supermodel, um, right, like yeah, someone yeah. Who's, who's still attractive but is, um, you know, aged gracefully. Who else do you think would be, could be triple X? Um, yeah, I mean, I was I was just thinking younger, really. Um, <laughs> Anna de Armas. She's no time to die. Elsie Fisher. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> The girl would from you the cast? Florida Project. The last one I've got here is is Scaramanga. Irreplaceable, mate. No, nah, just be better at Cumberbatch or something. <laughs> Andrew Scott. Yeah, fuck yeah. Although he's, he's already in. Um, he was Inspector. He was too. I forgot about that. Damn. Yeah. That's hilarious. All right. Well, that's continue the franchise. Did you have any more characters you recast? Uh, no, I tried to think of one for, um, Max Zorin, but you could just cast Christopher Walken. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it would probably be better. And it'd be a better, like, use yeah. of Christopher Walken would be casting him now. Um, so, now what we're gonna do, Richard, is we're gonna rank that franchise. So, if you go on the Cole Popsha letterboxed, which I'm going to right now, um, you will see that we have a list on there, which is all of our ran- uh, franchises ranked, all of our franchises franked. Um, and we're going to rank. So if you go to it, Richard, where, where do you think we need to be putting the Roger Moore, James Bond movies in our pantheon of franchises? I'm going to say it. What? Uh, between Twilight and the Santa Claus. Oh, really? I think it's better than both of those. Really? Okay. Right. I think it's above Nymphomaniac. So you no. think it, be- it belongs above the Nymphomaniac constant? No, I don't actually. You're fucking right, you piece of shit. Yeah. It is between Twilight and Santa Claus. Yeah, it's better than Santa Claus, but hey, there's no fucking Billy Burke as Charlie Swan in there. That's true. No one near as good as Billy Burke as Charlie Swan. <laughs> All right, All right, so that's, so that's, that's at number four, 43. Yep, so that's uh, between Twilight and the Santa Claus. Go check out our ranking. Uh, we put James, we put Sean Connery a bit lower than that. Um, above lower. Earbud. <laughs> above Earbud. And, and, <laughs> uh, before Sister of the Traveling Pants. Um, cool. So there you go, everybody. Go check that out. And Richard, that is the end of our Roger Moore roundup. The more, the Richard, I can't take any more. Yeah, wow, that was a good joke yep thank you very much well i'm i'm excited for next week where we've got a um it's gonna be a lot easier to get through like <laughs> we've yeah, done timothy Dalton two, only did two. Of, two or five of these episodes and we're like well past halfway <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's gonna be the episodes aren't gonna be as dense as this for the next the, the rest of the series um but that's really cool uh, mm. thank you very much for listening to this episode let us know what your thoughts are on the roger moore bond uh series uh, in the comments or on Facebook or wherever you want. And on Facebook, you can like us at Cold Popsha. You can subscribe to us on YouTube as well. There are two YouTube channels now. There's Cold Popsha, which is for our video content and um, videos made from podcasts. And then there's the Cold Popsha podcast, which is exclusively podcast. But you can also find us on Acast, iTunes, or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow yeah, us on Twitter. Whatever you want. 
at Culpopsha on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and you can email us at culpopshamedia at, at, at uh, gmail.com. And Richard, thank you so much for joining uh, joining me on this journey. Hey, um, no. I love you. Worries. Huh? And <laughs> you're, you're, the <laughs> you're the podcast host who loved me. Uh, and you're the man with the unremarkable testicles. <laughs> the run-of-the-mill nuts. <laughs> what a sharp change from last week when you said I had penny farthing nuts. Now I'm just the man with the, the man with the run-of-the-mill nuts. Uh, cool. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening, uh, and we'll see you later. Bye. 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 Oh boy, that was a pretty heavy note to end that episode on. Um, Frankly, I don't know if I can go on. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, well, I guess we'll try and bring some comedy um, into this post credit scene just to liven the mood. Uh, But, oh boy, uh, this is the post credit scene of this episode. If you've been listening Mm -hmm. to, maybe this is the first time you've listened past the outro music um, because you didn't realize (laughs) that there was four minutes left on the track. Um, But we are here. This is a post credit scene. This is a segment of the show brought to you by our Patreon. And it's where our people, our patrons who pledge $5 or above get to uh, give us some kind of conversation topic, uh, a challenge or a question or whatever they they bloody well please and we will do it we'll, we'll, we'll do it you, on this part yeah and if you want to be a part of that then you can donate too you can pledge to the cult uh you can tithe to us uh by by visiting www.patreon.com slash and as we said pledging five dollars or above and this question comes to us richard from our friend jensen he says hey guys my question is which filming locations would you most like to visit any film anywhere <laughs> um it's funny i've actually got a friend uh who i work with who has a um a facebook page you should check out called location station where he travels the world um like visiting filming locations and like edits himself into scenes kind of or like you know do like the shot reverse shot where That's he's in the reverse cool. shot kind of thing. And so it's, it's very cool. I remember um, him asking me for tips on how to, um, you know, build a Facebook page. And now he has significantly more likes than we do. He's significantly more popular. Um, <laughs> but it's very cool. And I've, I've asked him to come on the podcast before and he's kind of been like, oh, you know, I'm not great at talking, but I, I think he would be. And maybe I'll ask him again. Uh, but yeah, check out Location Station. Well, but, you've just given um, people, you just told people how to find him. <laughs> so go find this guy and just tell him to come on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, not like, it's not like that was an anonymous description of him. <laughs> what? No, I was saying check out his... I'm not. It's not. No, I'm not that's true. angry or anything. Um, no, that's yeah, true. Yeah, go go tell him to, to come on our podcast, um, mm. or I could just ask him at work because I see him every day. But um, yeah, there's. It's interesting because there's two. I feel like there's two types of travelers. Uh, one that are like, oh, you know, it's so cool to see like all these ancient temples and learn all about history, and then I'm more of like a, I want to see Lone Pine Mall. And I want to eat at Taco Bell because I've seen it in movies. Um, and so I, like, I've, Ta- I've never been Taco to the States. Taco Bell, the I famous s- film location. 
Yeah. <laughs> but like, I've never been to the States and I so desperately want to go just to yeah. see all these filming locations. I guess the the two big ones for me that I would love to see would be one, um, Tahajli. And with uh, or just and just around the general Albuquerque area, um, where mm-hmm. Breaking Bad was filmed, but specifically specifically that desert where they um, have their kind of kind of final standoff, and also where they um, cooked in the in the first episode, which is called Tajali. My parents have been there, mm-hmm. and um, the other one would be going to Knoxville and seeing the Sun Sphere from the World Fair, which uh, is now filled with boxes and boxes of unsold wigs. Which is from The Simpsons. And that's from, from The Simpsons. Um, the I didn't really have an answer for this. I wrote Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, but I don't really feel that passionate about it. I see. Um, I think I'm more of a going to see old temples guy, surprisingly. Really? I don't know why. I, I yeah. do not believe you. Mm. No, neither. <laughs> I don't believe me either. Name one temple um, you're interested in seeing. Ah, oh, all of them. I'll go to Jordan. I think I've mentioned this on the show before. I really want to check out the Cave of Swallows. Oh, it looks yeah, so you cool, but I'd, I'd be too scared to get down there. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, I well, let me let me extend the question to this: uh, What filming locations have you been to? Obviously, we live in New Zealand, so a lot of stuff does mm. get filmed here. So, where yeah. have you been? There's, um, oh, <laughs> I've been the the entirety of Guns Akimbo, which um, if you <laughs> watch that as a Kiwi which I think will be out now. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's so distracting as a Kiwi that it's so blatantly mm. like, they didn't even change the fucking logos on the buildings and shit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I've been to, because I've been to Cambodia um, as well. And so that's, um, uh, Lara Croft Tomb Raider was filmed there. And there's like yeah. these like shitty tiny little stalls that have signs on them that say, Oh, Angelina Jolie ate here, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and then there's a lot of places in, um, that we sort of saw in Japan as well that have just been in, that pop up in movies like Lost in Translation or The Wolverine. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then there's also like, I guess, I mean, it doesn't really count, but like things like Universal Studios where they've got recreations yeah. of Hogwarts and stuff, but it's not actually a film location. Oh, and also I've been to Stonehenge from um, Transformers 5. <laughs> It's always weird, going back to your Tomb Raider thing, it's always weird yeah. when you visit a place which, like, idolizes a movie that is that is just lost to the sands of, of the zeitgeist. Like, one that is no longer <laughs> even slightly relevant anymore. I remember I went to um, Warner Brothers Movie World in Australia, and I went on the Scooby-Doo ride. And not that Scooby, like the live, and it's based off the live action, the first live action film. And that's not even that forgotten, but it is weird to be standing yeah. in line for 15 minutes and watching a special feature from the Scooby-Doo DVD play on repeat and being like, I couldn't care less about this. <laughs> this interview with the cast of Scooby-Doo. And they, the, yeah. I remember the one that really was like, oh, this, you guys need to change this, was a, a ride based on the 2011 Green Lantern film. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. fellas, you need to, you need to get, get rid of this. Um, but I have been to Mount Doom, or I've been next to Mount Doom. I've done the Tongariro Crossing, um, which was an extremely rough to- uh, walk for someone with legs as short as mine. Uh, but I did it. And it's not even the hardest walk I've yeah. done. <laughs> the hardest walk I've done was on a new New Year's Eve a few years ago and I hated it and it sucked and the whole experience sucked and the place we got to sucked 
and I was that guy on the yeah. tramp. Fair know? enough. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.